Better late than never, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of Insight Pints, the show where we take members from Alberta's political scene, have a quick drink with them, and simply talk shop. And you know what? There has been quite a bit to talk about. As you know, we've been covering the municipal election on the mayoral side of things for both Edmonton and Calgary. And now that the election's over, we can actually spend a little bit more time focusing on the council. Uh, Full transparency, the reason why we didn't do this prior to, it seemed like, especially in the city of Calgary, that every second person in the city was running for council in some sort of position, and Edmonton had quite a few people as well. So realistically, we just couldn't spend the time and energy to interview every single person that we wanted to. So we figured the next best thing was to wait until the election was over. So we're going to start that now. And we have a few other people lined up, but let's just bring in our first guest from Edmonton. We are going to Ward Carrillo, and we have a brand new councillor, Karen Tang. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Aaron? Oh, I am doing awesome. The fire behind me is fake, it's so real. it's not super warm, but <laughs> other than that, it's good. How's, uh, how's the, uh, I gotta say first, congratulations. How did, uh, has it really set in yet that you're uh, a new counselor? Not at all. Not at all. And, <laughs> and I think I, I, I just needed some time to just sit alone in the office and kind of just soak it in. Um, but it's been a whirlwind, you know, uh, we essentially started onboarding two days after the election and it hasn't, it hasn't stopped. And tomorrow is the swearing in ceremony, yes. um, uh, which I'm really excited about, of course. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure once, you know, all the budget deliberation, all the public hearing is that's when things are going to really kick in. <laughs> Well, it's not like uh, you just get to ease into the job. I mean, like you mentioned, one of the first things you'll be responsible for is dealing with budget 2022, which is, I mean, that's one way to get thrown in the deep end. So I, I absolutely commend you on that. But uh, actually, I want to ask you a little bit about the transition. Before we do that, uh, tell me, what are we drinking today? I am drinking Polar Park. Uh, it's called Arctic Tundra. It's a Canadian session IPA. Um, yeah, we have a long history with Polar Park. Uh, my husband, Zach Storms, he's very involved with the with Edmonton startup community um, and actually hosts, you know, um, a happy hour weekly for a long time at Polar Park Brewery, which is just off of White Avenue. Um, and in fact, there, uh, and, the, and the meetup is called Startup TNT and there's actually a Startup TNT branded um, IPA. Um, so we have lots of their beers out around uh, our house, and uh, this is one. This one's one of my favorite. So it's pretty convenient and an easy choice to bring them on. <laughs> exactly. No, we've had them on before. They're fantastic. Have them on anytime. So I guess before we get going, uh, cheers to you. Congratulations, and uh, welcome you. on to the show. Thank you so much. Mm. All right. So. Uh, we, like you mentioned, you're kind of in that transition and the um, orientation period for city council. And I don't think a lot of people really understand what that process looks like. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about what's happened since you've been elected? Yeah, well, a lot of it is kind of when you when you start working a new work environment, you know, you have uh, making sure you have the technology all working, you set up some accounts and stuff. And, um, and you know, so much about city council is running meetings, you know, you're in meetings literally all day, every day. Um, and so that's been a big part of this transition is learning how to facilitate meetings with Robert's rule, um, you know, and starting to figure out, you know, how does a typical public hearing uh, goes um, and, and how does the, you know, a, a council runs. Um, and you, we also got to figure out who is sitting where and, you know, who's going to be chairing like what we know, but there's also kind of an order um, in, Anyways, there is also an order for, uh, you know, mayor and deputy mayor and acting mayor and all that kind of stuff. So those are some of the, like, logistical stuff that we got to figure out in the first, um, 
early days, but we've also been together, you know, this whole time. So it's also an opportunity for all of us just to get to know each other. Uh, a lot of the candidates know each other on the campaign trail. Um, and which is such a, just a special experience, you know, as candidates. Um, and then of course, a lot of us don't know each other and now is kind of the time for that team building. Um, and we also, you know, get to know the city manager and other folks uh, involved with the administration. And I think that's kind of going back to the team building side of things with council, that's going to be probably one of the most interesting storylines to watch simply because you look at the number of new councillors that were elected to the city of Edmonton, and it's the majority of people sitting on council. So there are still people that are very experienced, but this is a lot of new faces, even for those that have been in the seats for a while. Yeah, that's right. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful to have, uh, you know, Councillor uh, Hamilton, Peckett, Knack, and Carmel, um, who, who are kind of the mentor to the rest of us. Uh, and even in how we plan the seating arrangement, we, you know, we always make sure that there is someone with more experience kind of be able to kind of support and, and, and help those of us who are quite new to this. And another thing that obviously I think helps as well is that we have a new mayor in Amarjeet Sohi who isn't inexperienced when it comes to council because he is a former right. councilman. That's right. And he has so much experience. I'm, I'm really excited um, to work with him and, and everyone else, for, uh, of course. But I think, you know, I've always admired him, you know, from, from uh, I've not from afar, but yeah, from afar. And I met him, you know, a number of years ago um, during the previous election when I ran as well. Uh, and at the time I was like six or seven months pregnant, you know, really just starting to embark on this journey. And I met him and really appreciate a lot of the advice he gave me at that time. And um, lo and behold, here we are today. <laughs> and now you are a counselor elect for Ward Carheel. And by the time this airs, I think you'll be just counselor Tang. <laughs> right. So I guess the one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, you said that you did run in a previous election in 2017. So even though you've run before, this will be your first real dip into elected politics, but you do have quite a bit of experience when it comes to municipal sides of things. Anyways, you were a senior planner with the city of Edmonton. Uh, you spent a lot of time with the Ministry of Health with the government of Alberta. So you're not coming into this green. So I guess, what was it that about your previous life or what was your motivation that you said, now is the time for me to run in elected politics? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I, I've only became a citizen in 2015. And prior to that, um, couldn't vote, you know, and anytime I did any kind of community organizing or advocacy work, I never thought of politics as an option, or, you know, kind of that's where the decisions are often held. Um, but it's all about organizing on the ground. Um, and because truly, and I still believe that, you know, that's where change happens. Um, but I think after, you know, uh, swearing in um you know my citizenship ceremony i kind of realized like wow not only can i vote right now i can also run for office and, you know these rights i've never experienced uh th thoughts that never crossed my mind before i can have those thoughts now um like other citizens what a privilege you know what how how how, how privileged is that um so like I said, you know, my history has always been kind of working uh, with community, you know, on the ground. I was a teacher. Um, my first job was a teacher on the Navajo Nation in New Mexico. And really, you know, living and working on the, on the reservation has changed my worldview, I would say. And 
Um, and from there, you know, I worked with you know various community organizations um, in 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 cities in Canada um, before coming out to Edmonton to pursue my graduate studies in public health. Um, you know, after I think spending so, so much time on the ground in various capacities, what I really wanted to do was figure out how to build healthy communities. Um, and that's what led me here. And even for my thesis work, I, I worked with um, a First Nations community up north in the, in the Northwest Territories. Um, you know, surfacing stories and knowledge from, from, from people, from community members, from elders, from community leaders, from youth. Um, and using those to start conversations about what is needed to promote people's wellness. Um, and again, that was also, I would say, quite life-changing and to see how we can uh, work together with communities to translate some of those experiences into policy or program decisions. And I will say that was sort of the, the worldview and mindset I brought with me into government because I'm like, we can do this on the ground. Surely we can do this with policy. And I've learned that's not always how it goes. Um, and you know, at, at the time in 2016, I was actually on a succumbent from Ministry of Health to the Ministry of Status of Women. That was you know, the first ministry in the country, very groundbreaking. And at the time, I just remember us talking so much about challenges facing women uh, in leadership, women in politics. And I just said, I don't wanna talk about it anymore. I just wanna do something about it. Because if we want more women elected, we need more women running. So that I, I suppose was my first foray uh, into it. I wanted to take action, but I also just wanted to kind of be able to bring that process of, you know surfacing experiences and really translate that in, into policy. Um, and there's like such, such a bridge um, that I didn't see, you know, in my policy work. So I wanted to be that bridge between people and the decisions made at the table. So yeah, so that's kind of how I, how I um, ended up in politics. So the thing I immediately clued into there when you talked about it was, you arrive, you get your citizenship, and the very first thing you think of is public service, giving back to where you just came from. That just, you love hearing things like that. That's Those are the kind of people you want in politics, the ones that want to give back because that's just in their nature. And given the background you just outlined, it seems like that's exactly the case. Yeah, no, I am very grateful for all the, you know, support I've gotten from so many people um, and all the learning I've had from my students when I was a teacher, from the youth that I worked with, um, you know, from, from, from the communities that, that really worked with me to, um, on some of these projects. I've learned so much and I, I, I really feel that there's a perspective that's missing um, in current day, you know, um, policymaking that just, we cannot, we cannot for whatever reason center on those experiences and those voices. And so that's what I want to bring. And, and, you're, you, and you're correct. I have kind of had some time in city government, um, be, you know, aside from running for city council, I was a, you know, a project manager with the city of, of Edmonton, uh, working on a social innovation uh, initiative called Recover, uh, focused on improving urban wellness in the downtown core, which as you can imagine is incredibly complex with a lot of concentration of you know, social, social issues, homelessness, poverty, uh, addiction, mental health, um, et cetera. And at the time, uh, things were really messy with lots of different stakeholders. Um, and this initiative came about 
to say, well, how do we bring all those folks who don't agree with each other necessarily, um, or who sometimes don't even share the same worldview to the table and say, you know, we have our differences, but how do we be productive um, and kind of look at some of these issues from a different lens. Um, and so much of that is really based and centering on the stories and voices of those um, you know, living rough on the streets and what are some of their pain points to navigating all these systems. Um, I'm, I'm actually quite proud of that work. Um, I think it's some of the, you know, um, yeah, just, just been some of the most powerful moments I've had in my public service experience. And I think we've also come to a point now that we realize, and I think most people realize that when it comes to chronic homelessness and things along those lines, it is truly a mental health issue of the grand scheme of things. So it's, it's nice that we're getting to a point where the narrative is changing from simply let's just get them off the streets to let's figure out what the underlying causes are, what the issues are, and how to end that cycle of chronic homelessness. So hearing that programs like that have been running the city is obviously a step in the right direction, hopefully. It sounds like there's conversations about that. I know uh, former mayor, that, that feels really weird to say off the top of my <laughs> tip of my tongue, uh, former mayor Don Iveson, that was a big thing for him, obviously. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this council too, because again, everybody is so new. We have new faces that are coming around and I guess kind of tying back into what you mentioned before working with the ministry of status of women, when you had that conversation about more women in politics, that's exactly what we got with this council. The majority of council people we have are women. So looking back from that lens of the conversation you had, how does it feel to actually see that? Um, you know, uh, when, when, uh, you know, on election night, and I just remember thinking, wow, all that, hard work paid off. And I don't just mean me, you know, when I was running back in 2017, there was lots of programs uh, to just raise awareness, to, to, to talk about campaign school for women candidates or for anyone interested in even helping out with a campaign. Um, the city of Edmonton had a program called Open the Potential um, that essentially was kind of a campaign school for anyone interested in local politics. And there were about 50 women in the cohort. Um, and there's also Equal Voice, of course, and then that eventually became Parity Yake, um, which has been in the news quite a bit. Um, and so there's a lot happening at the time. And I think, you know, a pandemic uh, later, I think there's a lot less of those you know, programs and, and projects and, and initiatives happening. Um, but it's been, I would say, there's been lots of stuff happening over the years. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that so much of that has paid off. Um, and now, you know, just because we have eight women, it doesn't mean we're there. I think it's about constantly striving for greater diversity and greater, you know, views and greater lived experiences at the table. Mm -hmm. And I'll leave this candidate nameless, but it would sort of boggle my mind to see the one candidate saying that people voted for the status quo, but you look at this city council that we have, and it looks unlike anything we've ever seen in the city's history. That's right. That's right. So it does. It's a it's exciting time to be kind of seated, being seated on the other side. But I think it's also just exciting time to be um, in the city. You know, I think during this past few years, we've heard so many murmurs and commentary about you know, I there's nothing here for me in the city or in this province. I I really want to leave and. I think after Monday's election, I'm hearing actually more comments about this is such an exciting time. I want to be here. And it's so the energy you could feel the energy. Normally, municipal elections, you sort of know what to expect. You have the incumbents that are going to get reelected automatically. We didn't have that. It's going to be 
a bunch of white dudes in suits getting elected. We didn't have that again. So it's really going to be fun to watch the next four years. And kind of talking about the diversity of council, one of the big stories as well, kind of centered around yourself being the first female BIPOC councillor elected in the city's history. Yeah, and I would say I'm one of, uh, you know, um, two, um, no, sorry, I'm one of uh, two women of color on the on council. Uh, and yes, uh, that has been certainly a lot of questions about what does it feel like to be the first, you know, BIPOC uh, woman. Um, and I, you know, I think, it, it, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, and certainly, you know, I've had conversations with other candidates of color. Uh, we don't always want to be known for our our, our, our race. And I actually think during the this election, so much of the reporting around BIPOC candidates has been focused on their racial identity. Um, and, you know, I've actually kind of did a bit of a mental math, just how many times have we been actually talked about for our policies and platform and ideas. It, it is very disproportional compared to, you know, our, our, our white counterparts. So I think Yes, I'm glad that we're talking about it. In fact, many people have written to me, you know, this is the first time I didn't even know what BIPOC was. Now I know what it means. And um, so I think narrative is changing, but we, we can do so much better. Well, and the one thing you're talking, we were talking about before we started the recording is during the campaign, you actually started a podcast kind of talking about exactly that. Yeah, um, and this is a podcast uh, I'm also very proud of. Uh, you know, this season is where we're in season two. I worked on it with my uh, with my friend Ahmed uh, Nomadic Ali, who was a candidate running um, on the north side in War Tassawiniak, uh, with some help from uh, you know Lisa Pruden and uh, Omar Yakub, um, who really kind of encouraged us to share our experiences, our stories on this podcast. Um, that was started with a group of friends, you know, several years ago as a way to just tell stories from communities of color, um, because we felt that those voices, they weren't really around and, you know, and not just around, but being led by also people of color. Um, and so we, so we, so we started that project. And then this season, you know, Ahmed and I both wanted to share not only our own experiences as candidates, but also the things that we're hearing at the doors and what really drives us and, and I think this last one, it was aired just before election day, you know, we talked about sort of this element of hope um, and what it means to, to, to run, you know, positive uh, campaign um, and, you know, how, you know, politics can really be seen as community building. So I guess just speaking podcaster to podcaster now, the one thing when I started this, obviously, everybody kind of has a reason for starting it and they kind of have expectations of what they're going to find. So obviously with this, it was about just having open, transparent conversations that are a little bit more conversational than you normally have. Um, but I guess for yourself, did your expectations when you started your podcast actually meet what, what was what you ended up discovering or was there a little bit of a surprise that you learned? You know, what we learned was that th those voices and those stories that we were bringing forward uh, was, was very much needed because we weren't necessarily hearing them on a regular basis with the existing, I will call it mainstream podcast community in Edmonton uh, when it comes to civic, civic politics. Um, 
And so that was kind of a, a big reason. And, and, you know, one day I just finally said, you know, I am so tired of, you know, civic, politi- civic politics podcast done by white dudes. I need to, you know, <laughs> I, I really want to get some of those voices out. I, I mean, I think we could have gone a lot farther, you know, with various guests and stuff, but of course we're both running our own campaigns and it was, there was a lot to manage. Totally. And so I guess having gone through that experience, you got, you were able to get the voices out there. So going forward, what can other podcasters do to actually help amplify the voices? So it's not so much the narrative that we've been hearing over the forever, really. Yeah. You know, I know that it's, um, a lot of the podcasts will bring on various guests, but what I think what I would just like to see is not just guests, but people who are really, um, you know, developing the, the questionnaires, who are the interviewers, and it's not just about centering some of those perspectives, um, but also building capacity, right? And I think p- part of maybe um, the lack of presence we see when it comes to voice um, voices from communities of color is that maybe there's not the same kind of capacity. Um, doesn't mean that there's n- not the same kind of curiosity or interest. And so I'm always thinking about, well, how do we, you know, achieve the goals of building capacity, but also bring forward, um, giving power, giving giving voices, and and you know, ha- and centering on on uh, yeah, BIPOC communities. Perfect. Well, I think that's good advice and we'll definitely have, you know what, you cannot have too many voices. The more people you have out there actually sharing their experiences, sharing their stories and giving a more, it's like any study you'll do, the bigger your sample size, the more accurate the results. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we weren't necessarily talking about issues that um, I think people, for example, expect BIPOC communities to talk about, like, um, you know, policing and safety and that kind of, we were talking about transit, we were talking about, you know, uh, infrastructure and um, we're talking about public engagement and, and, and just various topics that we hear at the doors and then we get reflected and get to debrief and, oh, hey, hey, Ahmed, what did you hear? Like, you know, going out door knocking this week um, and then vice versa, I would share what I'm hearing and kind of the synthesis from that. Um, so it's just, it's just about, you no know, not boxing, um, us necessary in into certain you know persona and have certain expectations, but recognize that you know we can have certain lens to a variety of issues. Well, and that's ultimately at the end of the day is that one thing I've learned, and I realize I'm a younger person that hasn't had a heck of a lot of life experience on a lot of other things, but what I have seen is that everybody can look at the same issue and see it a thousand different ways, simply because our views are guided by what we've experienced, what we've witnessed and what we've seen. So the tint of our lens is all based on that. And I think that's why it is, like you mentioned, just so important to have so many different voices looking at anything, because when you have the same people making the same decisions, it's easy to oversee or not even consider that you might be missing something. That's right. And this is why we need to have, you know, diverse representations um, in leadership positions like, like, you know, elected officials. Um, And I will say, you know, I still think we're very much missing, um, you know, black representations. And and we, I think we always need more greater indigenous representations on city council uh, or any level of government. Um, uh, I thought we had, you know, a number of very strong uh, black candidates in this election, including in my own ward. and, you know, I, th- I think we, so we can't stop and we can't be complacent and thinking, okay, we have, you know, these many, you know, uh, BIPOC folks or women of color, uh, it's not enough. And we have to constantly strive uh, to do better. 
And that actually leads me right to my next point, because I was going through the media cycle the last couple of days, and I was came across a story that was kind of run about how racialized candidates were experiencing pretty horrific things at the door. Just it's 2021, but you still hear about candidates like Haruna Lee over in Papasteo yeah. being called things that I am not going to repeat here. Um, and you have even Amarjeet Sohi, who was called, again, things that I do not want to say here. But it's 2021, we're still hearing this. So I guess now that we have more representation on council, what can and should this council do to make sure that this narrative starts going away? Because it's obviously not an overnight thing, but what can we do to make sure that it's getting less and less every election? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot we can do uh, policy-wise, and I know, um, you know, um, Mayor Sohi, even in some of his, you know, addresses uh, with the media has talked about uh, some of his plans for his first 100 days that includes, you know, anti-hate and anti-racist um, policymaking. But I think fundamentally, I think having more diverse uh, council and leadership is about normalizing this idea that, um, decisions are not just run by a single type of people, um, that people, um, you know, we want, we want Edmontonians to, to, to see folks, you know, on in leadership position and to say, that's great. I can, you know, relate more because, you know, I can see um, myself in, 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 in my leaders. And I think that's really powerful. And I think that is changing the narrative. Um, and, and I think it's important to normalize um, what diversity really is. For sure. Well, I know you kind of already mentioned too, we don't want to keep it boxed into this sort of conversation. And fortunately, I'm also a little bit of a policy nerd. So I want to get into that a little bit because obviously running in Ward Carrillo is uh, Mike Nichols' old riding. And you sort of look at the history of the candidates here and your platform really diverts away from a lot of what this word has seen over the last decades. So I guess, what was it that you're hearing at the doors and what was your experience that kind of showed you that there was an appetite for change in uh, Carajillo? Yeah. And of course, you know, this word uh, Carajillo has, has also shifted quite quite significantly from, from the previous uh, Ward 11 with, you know, a fairly significant chunk um, of the Southeast move from, you know, what was formerly 12th uh, into, you know, this new ward. Um, so it's, it's, it's actually a pretty good 50-50 um, representation previously by Councillor Nickel and Councillor Benga. Um, and, you know, I will say a lot of the issues hasn't really changed from 2017 when I canvassed is certainly, you know, in the Millwoods area, um, still meeting lot, lots of seniors who are, who are struggling, you know, uh, and time and time again, I hear about just this concern around um, rising taxes when people are on fixed income and they sim they're simply, they cannot afford it. Um, and, you know, I think this time around, I'm hearing a lot more from the business community, uh, because they're just so they've been so hard hit um, by the pandemic, and and I and I think because Millwoods is the older, more mature neighborhoods compared to um, those you know south of the Hende, uh, you hear a lot about crumbling infrastructure, uh, which I think is happening across the city. Um, but it's the stuff that people see every single day: back alleys, sidewalks, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then south of the Hende, you know, because it, because it is new growth. Um, uh, 
I think the, the one of the biggest issue I heard, and I'm still I'm still getting emails about it, is about school capacity and school admission. You know, lots of uh, families, especially newcomer families, um, they move into Summerside or Ellerslie, thinking, okay, now my kids have a can go to school across the street, but unfortunately, it's full. Um, and then they're busing or driving their kids, you know, to other parts of town, to the mature neighborhoods, um, or worse, when they get older, there's actually not not a high school in the area for them to kind of go to their neighborhood school and they're busing further and further away. And now a lot of the issue I'm hearing then is, is the same transit issues I'm hearing in other parts of the ward uh, from other people who have similar experiences around access. Um, so, so I would say, you know, some, I think some things have stayed the same because I think they're fairly universal. Um, but I think, uh, you know, people want, you know, politicians who are responsive, who can relate, who can empathize, uh, who can find ways and, you know, do, uh, do whatever they can, you know, to, to kind of, to get an answer to people. Um, I think for, for all his shortcomings, I think, you know, Councillor Nichols certainly did have a reputation for, uh, for having certainly helped a lot of people out um, and, and his office has known to close, you know, X number of files, and that is something I certainly want to keep up because I think fundamentally that is the job um, of your elected officials to be responsive to you. And I'm glad you raised that too, because I think that's one thing that we lose sight of in politics, especially now with the age of social media. I mean, you can look at Twitter and you can kind of see how people talk there, but the one thing that people tend to lose sight of is that people don't, the 99% of people that get into politics, they don't do so to the detriment or with the intent of harming wherever they live or making it worse everybody has their vision of what they think is better and ultimately we kind of have the same goal at the end anyways we want to take care of families we want to make sure we have a good economy we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunities that they need in order to get ahead in life it's just there's different ways of going about it so that's right it's interesting yeah to see how different candidates kind of accomplish that so i guess sort of extending on that point is when it comes to the council, we obviously have in municipal politics, no partisanship, but we do have quite a bit of differentiation on ideology for a lot of people. So what is going to be the key for you for uh, being able to collaborate with your colleagues? Yeah, um, you know, and I think I will probably leverage a lot around just my experiences um, building consensus, you know, working with different stakeholders who, who again, you know, are quite different, uh, who, who see the same issue from very different perspectives and say, how can we find common ground and um, find productive ways forward? I think there are tools to facilitate that um, beyond just talking, um, but I think that's always the first first thing. And already I'm sensing there's quite a bit of, um, a, you know, a collaborative culture forming, which is really exciting. Um, sorry, I just want to come back to your point about, you know, how, how yeah. do I really deviate from, you know, the previous uh, counselor's sort of vision for um, maybe reducing some of those particularly fi financial challenges for, for, for people and for businesses. And I think um, oftentimes, you know, we fall back to the same narrative around cutting services um, as a way to cut taxes. Um, but, you know, one thing I'm hearing so much is that so much of that services are isn't even happening in a lot of places. So if you cut back, um, I think you're gonna we're gonna see quite you know quite more people not have 
you know, those services like, you know, snow plowing and uh, some of these basic public service. Um, and so in my platform, I talk a lot about priority based budgeting, uh, you know, looking to the city plan as a major tool. Um, as well as you know, regional collaboration, uh, regional infrastructure and, and service sharing. Um, this war borders Beaumont and, and I see them as a quite important um, partner in, in whatever discussion. Um, I think regional conversations are never easy, um, but I just think you know, as the city grows, um, and we are going to be growing, you know, we're growing towards 2 million in a few, few, few decades. And I think a lot of that growth will be happening uh, in in wards you know, like, like, like mine. And, um, and, and I think beyond looking at cutting, cutting services and cutting taxes, you know, I think we need to kind of look at other tools as well. And that's something that does get lost in the conversation a lot of the times is that people talk about cutting or anything else along those lines, but people often forget that the way municipal, provincial, federal government make money, it's through having a tax base. And that is making sure that people are paying into it. So obviously you need to make sure that it's a fair payment system. You need to make sure you're not charging people through the nose, but at the same time, there is a need for balance to make sure that we still need to be able to have that revenue come in. Otherwise there is a very real conversation of, we have no choice but to cut these services. Yeah, and I think a lot of that rising taxes too is we're still paying for the austerity cuts from decades ago. Um, And so I guess, to me, the logic of then, you know, cutting back on those services, uh, I think it just doesn't make sense because we're then simply passing it on to the next generation. Um, Yeah, so lots of conversations about taxation and, you know, um, how city actually makes their money (laughs) and how they, you know, how providing services actually really key part of that. Um, The fact that we can't run debt, you know, a deficit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think part of it is is, is also raising, you know, civic civic literacy and civic awareness um, with, you know, the entire city. Um, And I think the more people know about how their local government works, how it's different from other levels of government and who does what, um, I think that that will go a long way. For sure. And I promise we won't keep you too much longer because I'm looking at the time and you've already been more than generous with it. But uh, I think what we'll do just to wrap up here, we'll start a little micro, we'll go macro, and we'll just see where that leads us. So on the micro level, obviously, we've sort of you alluded to what uh, Mayor Sohi wants to do in the first 90 days. And I realize with municipal politics, everybody sort of runs on their own platform. So for yourself, now that you're going to be sworn in tomorrow, what is it that you hope to have accomplished by the time 90 days has expired for you? Uh, I want to really have started some of the conversations about transit. Um, uh, and and I want to just maybe expand that on that a, l- a little bit. Sure. You know, when we developed our platform, it was based on, you know, like so many dozens and dozens of community conversations, coffee parties, uh, you know, coffee meetings, uh, vir- lots of virtual, obviously, uh, with community members and industry leaders and that kind of stuff. Um, and then from there, we developed three pillars of community economy climate that trickle down to 11 priorities, 37 points. Um, but the more doors I talk to, the more like, talking to real people, um, the more I realize how just critical mobility, which is one of the 11 priorities, how critical it is and mobility for all kinds of people. Um, but in particular, I will say transit is a big one. You know, the value line RRT is, is right smack in the middle of this ward, yeah. uh, which has been delayed yet another quarter. Um, 
And people just have been living with that construction for the past, you know, five years, four or five years. And on top of that, the bus network redesign happened back in April before the hour is completed and you know talking to a lot of seniors um, heading into the winter time who have to walk farther away from their house uh, you know in walkers in canes uh, people are extremely extremely distraught <laughs> um, and so I think you know one of my first priority I really want to kind of take a look at, at um, transit and how can we fill some of the gaps um, that is so glaring across the ward. And I, and I will say this is the one issue that really connects the neighborhoods north and south of the of the Henday. And it's interesting too with the transit side of things, because I know especially being in the south side of Edmonton myself, um, when the on-demand transit came by, I'm fortunate enough that I'm able to drive so it doesn't impact me as much. But I do realize that with the creation of the on-demand transit there's a lot of people that had based their location of where they live on the nearest bus stop that no longer have the access to that because they have a central point that they're meeting with on-demand transit so that's something that absolutely i think might be i mean not to speak for you by any means but that's something that might be looked at absolutely and so i think you know on-demand is something uh, i really want to kind of sink my teeth into um because you know while you may have access when there's a lot of people that don't Absolutely. there's 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 not there's not you know many stops uh for one thing i'm glad you have one because most places i go to they don't have any um and and, and some of the neighborhoods are are actually so new you know they're just kind of in the process of you know establishing some of those routes and stuff um so i think that is a huge opportunity that we need to look at and i just want to see how i can maybe expedite some of those conversations for sure. And now let's look at the macro. Obviously, four years is a lot of time, but in politics, it also feels like basically no time at all. So by the time 2025 rolls around, uh, what do you hope that this council will have accomplished? Wow, yeah. Um, well, I mean, no, by, you know, I think that's a really good question. I haven't, I haven't quite thought, to be honest, I haven't quite thought that far. Um, I, I certainly, you know, from my own point of view, want to I, I think there's a lot of people whom we have some shared, you know, values uh, of how we see, you know, climate action and, you know, economic resiliency and diversification and, you know, vibrant and inclusive co uh, communities. Um, so I think by, you know, in, in, in four years time, um, I think as a council, we can move forward on a lot of those goals uh, when it comes to anti-racism, for example. I certainly hope to see a much more representative, you know, agencies, boards, and commissions um, providing advice, you know, um, that impact everyone. Um, you know, I certainly hope to see our economy more resilient, that businesses um, uh, are thriving. Uh, no, not because of not just not because of say lower taxes per se, but because there are there are more tools and they're more connected. Um, and I would say, you know, I, I'm I'm eager to see what happens, you know, with the Edmonton's innovation community, which is something I'm very active in, um, and how that might play a role uh, as well as some of the the, the traditional businesses how they transition um, or you know evolve. Um, and certainly, thoroughly, I would hope that we we really move, get a move on some of um, climate actions that, you know, ha we have a strong plan. How do we implement it? Um, so, you know, in four years, uh, it's a long time, but I certainly hope to uh, that we as a collaborative and, and, and I think we can get there as a group. Um, 
kind of move forward on some of these goals. Awesome. Well, Councillor Tang, you've been absolutely fantastic. I appreciate you coming on. And I guess one last thing, I never count the uh, name of the podcast that you're running where people can uh, check you out at. No, sorry about that. Um, it's called <laughs> Otherwise Podcast. Uh, and you can find it uh, in any you know place you would listen to your podcast. Um, and oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll just add this too. So so this podcast is also a project of the Ribbon Rouge Foundation, which okay. is a fantastic organization. Um, you know that strives for health equity um, for um, for the Black community uh, in Alberta. And this is one of their initiatives. So if you look for Ribbon Rouge Foundation, uh, you can also find our every episode on their website. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Best of luck in your first term in council, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron. Cheers. Cheers.